I get the opportunity, a really awesome opportunity to preach on like birth and rebirth on the occasion of the births of both my mother and the mother of my children, Nancy and Rachel, they both share today as their birthday. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's right. So don't, like, downstairs at Pollock, don't just wish them happy birthday if, if you've been blessed by them. Like, try to tell them about a way that they've encouraged you or, or that you thank God for them. Like, um, this is a thing for preachers, too. Like, we love when you say great sermon, but we really love when you say, like, something specific. Even if it's something small and you don't think really matters, it really matters. And so if you see something, say something, and, and that would be awesome. Now that I've... Now, now that I've really embarrassed both of them, um, I also want to disclaim that we just returned yesterday from a week uh, at the beach on vacation. So if you notice like an inordinate amount of beach-related material, um, that I apologize. But I also own that because like it's the fruit of sitting in scripture at that place, right? Like if you make bread in a place where there's salt in the air, maybe the, the bread might taste a little or be a little flatter because of the humidity and the salt. And that's, that, that's what's happening here. The, 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 the Holy Spirit blows a little saltier out there, right? So um, I want to invite Sarah to come up and read our scripture. This is a really well-known scripture for us from John 3. There was, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. What is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the human one. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged, because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and people love darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. This is the word of the Lord. So we come to a really popular passage today where we normally get the soundbite of John 3.16, usually scrawled on a cardboard sign and held by a guy that looks like this, right? And if I had a little more time, I might have tried to dress up for the part. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's really a challenge in for all of us in reading such a passage that's, that's similar to the challenge of reading like the Easter or the Christmas stories afresh each year. We must not necessarily um, shed, but build upon and circle back to what we think we know. We have to approach with openness and curiosity. We, we can't assume that we've plumbed the depths of what God will say to us through this word. And if we're doing this honestly and with integrity, uh, it might be a little scary. It might even get us in trouble. We might actually be changed because of it. This is, I think, the recognition for Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night to be taught. He's a Pharisee, which doesn't necessarily mean that he was some sort of like arch hypocrite, as we've often made Pharisees out to be, but rather it means that he was pretty conservative and pretty stringently religious, right? One commentator refers to the Pharisees as the serious party, right? He was serious about the law. He was serious about piety. He was serious about God. To come to, to like inquire from this ragtag traveling preacher from whom there was starting to be like these messianic rumblings, this might be a meeting that should be kept off the books for Nicodemus, right? You couldn't be serious about this. I don't necessarily think that this was like a shady thing to do. And I wish that more people searching for what Jesus has to offer, and we all are, but some of us have begun to find it or be found by Jesus, would like low-key search for Jesus on this way, right, from the shadows. Like, I think many people are, so keep that in mind when you interact with like your, quote, serious neighbors, you know, that, or your friends or family members, that the shadows can actually be like, a great place to meet and be met by Jesus, right? And I think uh, when it comes to lighting and shadows, I think um, I always jump straight to and think about Renaissance paintings. Like, 
deal with this and capture this dynamic really well, especially like the Dutch masters like Rembrandt. Like this is just a sketch, but there's already like he's starting to build um, some some lighting and shading dynamics. And he probably was working with knowledge of like this one um, early in 1600s. What's the next one look like? Yeah, like this Hendrix piece. You, you can see how the faces are lit and they're always playing with light and dark. Notice the light and the movement, illumination and the shadows, obscured edges. Like even there's this relatively new one from the 1920s from Henry Osawa Tanner, um, who is most famous for the banjo lesson painting. Look that up if you haven't seen it. It's so awesome. Um, and he also intriguingly titles this Nicodemus Coming to Christ, which I think is really cool. Um, and you see here, it's spotlit, and Nicodemus is like darkly sitting, learning at the feet, like any good apprentice might, of Jesus. From the dark, Nicodemus is especially concerned about the miraculous signs that Jesus is doing. At this point in the story, the main reported sign by John is the wedding feast at Cana in the last chapter in John 2 where Jesus changes water to wine to keep the party going. If you get a chance, go back and listen to our Lenten series where we went through all these signs of salvation for Jesus, where uh, there was, you know, each miraculous feat, whether it was like the feeding of the 5,000 plus or walking on water is never a sign um, for power or prestige sake, but it's always to point to and open up like the abundant life in God. I love... Um, that the Knipes named their little girl Zoe, which is the Greek word for life, this, this word that is all throughout John's gospel and pops a few times in this third chapter for us, that, that, that we might have life and have it to the full. So Nicodemus knows that and calls them signs. He doesn't call them miracles. He says, this man is doing these signs. He knows that signs point beyond themselves, that the wedding at Cana signaled the grace and the joy of the coming kingdom, which operates from a logic of abundance that doesn't make a whole lot of sense apart from the fact that God is making all things new. This God that resides in Jesus. So Jesus doesn't mince words with Nicodemus's inquiry. He says, I assure you, Unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Born anew, again, from above, and different translations say it different ways. Nicodemus is as scandalized as he should be. After all, he's a very serious man, and how could this like, now be on the test when it wasn't on the study guide, right? Like He's asking, can a grown man crawl back inside his mother's womb? Surely he's like in the early brainstorming phases of fixing this conundrum. This isn't his final answer. It's not in ink yet. He can erase it. Don't hold him to that. But Jesus holds the line. He says, unless someone is born of water in the spirit, it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. But then he does something surprising, and he introduces him to this renaissance spirit. He says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew, because God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. 
You hear its sound and you don't know where it comes or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. For these impossibilities to be overcome, the Spirit of God must provide new birth. This is the the Spirit whose work we've been caught up in throughout this summer study. It's the Spirit of creation. It's the Spirit of inspiration. It's the spirit that calls and anoints and gives vocation. It's the spirit of renewal, dry bones, a peaceable kingdom. Last week, Meg wonderfully explored the prophet Joel's vision of the spirit poured out when we're talking about must be born of the spirit and of water. The spirit poured out on all flesh, sons and daughters, and now Jesus seems to be taking it a step further in saying that in order to become sons and daughters of God, the Spirit has to write you a new birth certificate. Next week, Jeff McSwain, who founded Reality Ministries, will take it one further by helping us explore the spirit of adoption in Romans 8. A minute ago, you might have been curious why I called it the spirit of renaissance or the renaissance spirit rather than just the spirit of rebirth. This was kind of intentional to evoke some of the specific characteristics of the Renaissance. Like the Italian Renaissance was a rebirth, but also kind of a bridge of sorts between like it reached back and recovered some of classical antiquity as it made way for for modernity to, to break in. And the results of which make this like explosive output of arts and literature and science and philosophy and religion. When true rebirth happens, no area of life remains untouched. And truth and goodness and beauty extend and expand in collaborative and like exponential ways. Like you, you might have heard the phrase, um, he's a renaissance man, which normally means like a little better than he's a jack of all trades and a master of none, like he's actually mastered some things, right? Or she's a renaissance woman because she's really awesome in every way that you can kind of imagine. That's kind of taken from this period because there's just like too much to know and to do and to explore for like a single discipline. So the spirit of the renaissance is inherently creative and has like a childlike capacity to make connections where old brains no longer can or are willing to. So you get these these malleable characters like Leonardo da Vinci or Galileo or Copernicus uh, who are just into everything and interesting and interested people. It's... I think you also see this too in like the Harlem Renaissance of the 1920s and 30s. Like it started uh, from this book title and they they were calling it the New Negro Movement and others took to calling it uh, the Harlem Renaissance because they wanted this cross-pollination of like Pan-African political and commercial and artistic and musical and literary flourishing to be rooted in a place, in a people, in Harlem, a renaissance and a rebirth of a people. This was not ultimately something new or out of nowhere, but in a specific place, in a specific time, growing out of something that had existed towards something hopeful and new. Not a new movement, but a rebirth. A renaissance. So this renaissance spirit comes in like a gale force wind and like is about to bowl Nicodemus over. As Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel, how don't you know these things, right? I love that. The, the implication, I think, is this isn't new. 
Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you've been teaching on this. You should know this. This isn't new. This is just the new thing that God is doing from the old. In the same way that Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And I think if, if Jesus was into rock climbing, which I probably doubt he was, he would be like setting a, a piton right here for Nicodemus for later because when Nicodemus might recall this little thing in this little conversation that he had no stinking clue what it meant at the time, now he's taking Jesus' body down from the cross where he was indeed, like Moses, lifted up to save by suffering. So let's move a little more quickly on a couple more things to note about this Renaissance spirit. The Renaissance spirit brings new birth from above. The Greek word is anothen, and it gets translated above, anew, to be born again. But I always think, when I see that word, I always think of another. It's like just one letter off, anothen, another. And this healing, renewing birth must come from outside of ourselves. Like our own births, there's nothing we did to, to generate ourselves. We enter into this world helpless and reliant on another. Somewhere along the way, we start to believe the lie that we've grown out of this sort of dependency on God and other people and we can go it alone. That's... Uh, that's really awful thing that most of us will struggle with if we're even aware of it. Recently, I had a really great conversation with someone in an Alcoholics Anonymous program remarking on this very thing, which is like bedrock to the program. The first three steps of the process are admit your powerlessness, believe that there's a power greater than ourselves who could restore me to sanity, and turn my life and will over to the care of God. Powerlessness, a power greater than ourselves, the care of God. And these steps are kind of repeated like a mantra and for many become kind of the guiding philosophy leading to rebirth, leading to new life in God, leading to an encounter with another, renaissance from another. But then the, the beautiful surprise of all of this is that the spirit births from above, beyond, outside, and a part of us, and then also shockingly and surprisingly from within like the spirit installs itself makes us into ones in whom christ dwells allows us to say and and a friend of the congregation james ryan smith says says this a lot i am a child of god one in whom christ dwells and i'm living in the unshakable kingdom of god I am a child of God, one in whom Christ dwells, and I'm living in the unshakable kingdom of God. Can you put that up there? Is that a slide? Can you go one more? Yeah, could you guys say that? That's like, I heard him say this one time, and it just stuck with me, and it's a beautiful and brilliant thing about our identities. You say it with me. I am a child of God, one in whom Christ dwells, and I am living in the unshakable kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful and amazing fact about ourselves because of who God is and what God's done? This is how rebirth and transformation occurs, like from without to deep within. And at the beach this week, 
here I go on my beach story, right? At the beach this week, Noah and Titus and I went on all these shell walks, like to hunt shells, these long seashell hunting expeditions. I know this is probably ironic. Some of you have heard a famous ser- sermon that like excoriates people for a vision of a wasted life, retired seashell hunting, right? But I really like seashell hunting, and I'm a pastor. Um, this is like the start of an AA meeting. Um, I couldn't help but notice on our seashell expedition, like how many people, for one, how many people we happened upon and talked to. And this one guy even came up to Titus and Noah and like put a live crab in their hands, right? Like, um, and all of these interactions are simply because we were present and like unhurried. And this is a practice I hope, like it's easier to come by on vacation, I know that, but uh, that I hope to like, take from vacation and take into my life in the neighborhood. Like unscheduled, unprogrammed, unhurried, available, present time to be interrupted. Trusting that the Spirit might introduce me to someone who might change my life as much as maybe I could be a part of changing theirs, that I might actually meet Jesus just roaming around looking for seashells or walking the neighborhood. But then, so as we're searching... We're looking especially, well, Titus is just looking for rocks. He just loves rocks. Concrete will do. Uh, But Noah and I are searching especially hard for sea glass. Sea glass, very valuable stuff. But it struck me, what like a beautiful gospel parable this sea glass is for this sort of spiritual rebirth, right? These are fragments and they're part of the surprising process of being transformed like from without to within. Like they, they, they go from shards, something broken and dangerous, stripped of use, stripped of worth, into something valuable and sought after. Like we had our best woman and men on this case, and we couldn't find any sea glass, right? Like these, these shards of glass that have been tumbled by the steady, like, tidal faithfulness and mercy of God in, like, remade, re-beautified into something of great worth and great beauty. I think that's how transformation happens from without, within, over time, in surprising ways. Lastly, this Renaissance spirit doesn't just make us into something beautiful for our own sake, but to be part of a beloved and beautiful family of God. John's Gospel anticipates this movement. There's a slide for John 1 up there. Yeah. It says, The light was in the world, but the world came into being through the light. But the world did not recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his people wouldn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children. Born not from blood, not from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We've seen his glory, glory like that of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Amen. Yeah. The Renaissance spirit does the impossible. Turns us from strangers, strangers to God, strangers to each other, into brothers and sisters with Christ under the loving care of God the Father. 
And this, this happens now. Like we, this doesn't happen sometime off into the future. You see, having eternal life means being rehabituated into this unshakable kingdom of God now. One translation of John 3.16 says, in kind of like a really British way, um, this, you see, is how much God loved the world, enough to give his only special son so that everyone who believes in him should not be lost, but should share in the life of God's new age. The life of God's new age, and God has initiated this age in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's happening. <laughs> and we can share in that life, like that capital L life, now. We don't need to wait until we die. When we were baptized, we died and were raised with and in Christ. Titus 3 says this also. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love appeared, he saved us because of his mercy. Not because of righteous things we'd done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So since we've been made righteous by his grace, we can inherit, like heirs, like children, the hope of eternal life. Catholic founder of these large communities of people of uh, varying mental and physical abilities, Jean Vanier, puts it this way. Eternal here does not refer to something we will live after death. It is the life of God given to us today. Not after death, today. After death, sure, but starting today, starting now. It stands to reason that if we step into infinity, infinity, it's like stepping into a stream that's been flowing from forever for forever. And we just like jump in and get used to the current of it all. Like living in a family like this, like any other family, takes time and patience and intention and asking for and granting and receiving forgiveness. Like each person that we've added to our family via new birth requires our whole family to adjust. Like a few years down the road when kids start to get more agency, it even creates sometimes more conflict than there once was. You know, only, child, only children don't have a whole lot of conflict until they have brothers and sisters, right? But it's, it's, it's caused us to adjust about everything, our, our schedules, our priorities, our budget, but it's also caused us to expand our hearts and our joy and our imagination for what a bigger family could be for the sake of others. The same spirit of renaissance is also the spirit which, which grows families and also the spirit that grows individuals, grows and matures us, urging us into what Ephesians 4 says, unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. It's the spirit that guides us through sometimes like rocky adolescences and sees us through wilderness walking, sees us through like second or maybe even third or fourth naivetes into like a deeper faith. It's the same spirit that calls us back to repentance. It's the same spirit that welcomes us with open arms, remaking us into brothers and sisters, sons and daughters whom God loves and is well pleased. All this in Christ. So as we go, I want to encourage and invite you. Like, 
I want to encourage or invite anyone who might not have experienced this to be born anew from above, from without, in the spirit, which grafts you into a true vine and invites you to jump into the stream of living water. And if you have a share of that spirit with many brothers and sisters who also have that share, I invite you to grow in your identity as Renaissance people, like as a Renaissance person. And we'll give that, a, again, that kind of new spin, Renaissance spirit people, enlivened and empowered by this creative spirit of abundance and renewal. And a Renaissance person, like if, if, if you're, if, if you're looking for kind of like things to key off of or things to introspect towards or things to bring before God about yourself, a Renaissance person is not a selfish person, but it's a person living for God and others in the power of the Spirit. A Renaissance person is not a fearful or a reactive person, but someone living out of the durable love and assurance of Christ's victory over sin and death. A Renaissance person can't be a racist person because they're joined into God's multi-ethnic family across time and place. A Renaissance person is not an isolated person, but someone knit into the fabric of a church community, a vital member, like a body part of the body of Christ whose health relies on the health of her members. A Renaissance person is not a despairing person, but someone with like a rugged, real hope from the death and resurrection of Jesus and the comforting presence of the Spirit. A Renaissance person can't be a greedy person or shouldn't be a greedy person, but someone living in thankful and generous response to the lavishly generous grace of the triune God. A Renaissance person isn't an uncreative person, and there might be people that think I'm not at all creative but someone who always sees possibility for change and renewal and rebuilding and renovation. Your medium just might be different than you thought. And a Renaissance person is not a prideful person, but someone continually humbled by their limits in God's power. It's impossible for man, it's possible for God. So go in the spirit of Renaissance today and be born anew. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this conversation that we get to um, uh, peer in on from the shadows. Um, Lord, give us the, the courage of Nicodemus to get out of our, our comfort zone, out of the commentators that we rely on, and, and go straight to Jesus with our inquiries. Give us the patience to stay there as we have our our minds blown and expanded and put back together around um, the kind of spiritual rebirth that it's going to require each and all of us to follow Jesus. And Lord, um, uh, set us to work um, to be uh, remade, to grow in maturity and be rebuilt into the image of Jesus um, as we uh, collectively image Jesus in this church community. Uh, we thank you for the challenge of all this. Uh, we thank you for the assurance of all this. We thank you that you're making all things new and, and making us new. 
and that you're including us in that work. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.